message. We've been in a series called Hashtag Hope, and uh, great responses, all kinds of emails and uh, events. And I want to thank David Weed for covering last week. David, thank you. Nailed it out of the park like usual. And... Uh, does a great job with that. If you didn't get to hear last week's message, go online. Just download it. You can tap because it'll tie uh, to this morning. So this morning, we're going to kind of talk about the pink elephant that sits in the uh, Christian room. All right. And it's one that all of us kind of worry about. It's one that we um, ask questions or struggle with. Uh, But the question is, what happens if things get tough? What happens if persecution hits? Where will my hope go? If things get really, really bad, that's the question we're going to look at this morning. So we probably should pray before we launch into something like that, all right? Father, as we uh, come before you, we are naturally fear-driven people in many cases. And uh, you don't have to be um, a geopoliticalist or anything like that to look at the culture and the turns and to realize that there are some very significant changes in our country not just politically or culturally, but spiritually. And Lord, as we sit on your side of the coin, um, we know what your word says, and we know that doesn't pretend well for us. And so there's a, a nervous edge to us in terms of trying to anticipate what might be coming down the road. And that affects us. It changes the way we relate to you. So as we look at this this morning, I ask that you would bring a solidifying peace to our hearts that you will take us through anything we face. And we seek you for that kind of encouragement and ask this in your name. Amen. All right. Um, So we've been talking about the God of hope. And the God of hope is not a title. That's actually one of his names. When you think of the names of God, many of you have done the studies of the names of God. The God of hope is actually one of his names. Hope comes from God. Mankind did not invent hope. God is the source of hope. And so uh, in 1 Peter it says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, i.e. that would be somebody who's in a guard position and has the watch of the night, don't be falling asleep, don't be drunk, pay attention, something dangerous might be coming, be on the alert, set your hope on, on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. In other words, that's what we are setting our hope on, our anchoring in, is in the blessed coming. All right, The blessed coming is the return of the Lord Jesus, and we are uh, aiming and angling for that. So the, that's the goal of hope. If you look at the purpose of hope, we've said this before. In Hebrews 6, it says, God did that, so by two unchangeable things, which is impossible for God to lie. Remember I said, why shouldn't we lie? We shouldn't lie because God doesn't lie. We need, to, we need to anchor on that. It's impossible for God to lie. He said, number one, I'll make the promise. Number two, I'll be the guarantor of the promise. And that was to Abraham. It says, uh, impossible God to lie. We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. In other words, it locks us down. It holds just like an anchor. No matter how much the storm would buffet, the anchor holds. Now, why those two verses, why are they so important? Why are we to be alert and fully sober? And why do we need to hold, take a hold of the hope and have it as an anchor for our soul? 
And the question this morning is, why do we need to be greatly encouraged? Well, in 1 Thessalonians it says, you know what kind of men we prove to be. This is Paul and his entourage, which includes Luke and Silas and Timothy and a couple others. Uh, as they were in Thessalonica, when they ran into it, he said, you saw what happened. You saw what happened to us. He says, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in what? And the word there is much affliction. Uh, basically, there was a mob scene, and they were getting beat up in the street. If you want to translate that into some kind of English that we would understand, that's what happened. It says, you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that a kind of a oxymoron, ironic, kind of tying two things together. Because we don't often tie affliction or persecution with joy. Matter of fact, for us, we think that's the opposite, right? That if I have affliction or persecution, that's bad. My joy is gone. When good times come, then I'll have joy again. That's really, well, that's at least how I think, right? Um, I don't normally think of joy or affliction uh, kind of being tied together. And yet, in Scripture, they're tied together often. With the joy of the Holy Spirit that you became an example to all the believers of Macedonia in Achaia. And I thought this morning it might be helpful. When we're talking about afflictions, what kind of, uh, what kind of afflictions are we talking about? Right? And I thought we'd just walk through a couple, see if you resonate. One of these may stand out more to you than another. First of all, there's, there's physical afflictions. Uh, our health breaks down. Something goes wrong. Uh, we are suddenly caught in a cycle of chronic pain. Those of you with MS or fibromyalgia or chronic depression would understand that. It just takes you and just goes, right? And you're just in a little knotted ball and uh, it doesn't go away. Most of us can endure that if it's going to last for a day. Most of us can endure that if it's going to last for a week. But when it suddenly dawns on us that this is not going to go away, that I'm going to have to live with this, that becomes difficult. That becomes suddenly, where did my joy go? And how do I have joy in the Lord when I'm faced with physical afflictions? There's uh, emotional uh, afflictions. Some of these issues would be depression, fear, anxiety, bitterness, loneliness. Um, things that kind of emotionally entangle us and strangle us all at the same time. Uh, we're no longer free inside. Someone would go, when's the last time you smiled? I don't know. I, I'm, it just looks dark, right? And I can't seem to clear it. Those are every bit as tough as the physical ones. The problem is emotional ones are highly invisible. So nobody else can see them. And so somebody would not even know uh, you're struggling. And that's why when it comes to suicide... Often people are shocked because they didn't have an idea there was even a battle going on because on the outside the person looked fine. But internally they were under severe affliction. Uh, there's relational affliction. Many of you would relate to this. Divorce, uh, betrayal, uh, abandonment, lack of honor, lack of love, death of a loved one. Uh, there are a number, and I could list probably several dozen more, uh, there are a number of relational afflictions that we go through in life. Um, when you are a little kid, uh, it just looks like adults know everything. They've got it all mapped. They know exactly what they're doing, and life is easy because they coast. 
Is that so? Not so much, huh? Not so much. Matter of fact, when you get my age, you start wondering if you know anything at all. All right? Uh, so, but those kind of afflictions can, and what you find with life is if they start to pile up on each other, ah, right? That, that gets, if you, for example, tie relational ones to physical or emotional ones, that gets to be pretty difficult. There are financial afflictions. Debt, bankruptcy, poverty um, is not something we think people live with, yet we do. Theft, fire, flooding, car breakdowns, earthquakes, frozen pipes. Anybody? Right? There's a number of financial things where, oh, no. An $800 break job? Ah! Right? The washing machine did what? Where did this bill come from? We didn't pay it? Ah! Right? Uh, those, those can become severe afflictions when you're stuck and you're sitting there wondering, how am I going to get out of this predicament? There seem to be no options to me, and I don't have another way, a source of income, a way to uh, m- maneuver something. Now what do I do? And if you don't think that bothers people, just ask dads. There is cultural affliction. If you go back into the book of Genesis and look at Abraham, Abraham had a nephew named Lot. And it says that the, they got too prosperous together. Uh, the land couldn't sustain the herd. So Lot, Abraham said to his nephew, hey, if you go this way, I'll go this way. If you go that way, I'll go this way. And let's just separate so that there's room for our herds and our herdsmen. And uh, so it says that Lot saw that the plain was really well watered. And so he went down the plain. Abraham stayed up in the mountains and the higher dry ground, uh, and we know the story that Lot went and lived in Sodom and Gomorrah, two towns, just two neighboring towns right there. And it says about Lot that his soul was tormented by the things he saw going on in the culture. It says that that righteous man's soul, he was just bent out of shape and um, disturbed in his spirit. He didn't have peace while he was living there because he watched the things that were going on and the things that were going on were rape, assault, greed, envy, murder, strife, ruthlessness. Any of your souls been tormented living in the culture we live in and watching the things that you hear on the news every day, from the Marysville shooting to the shooting at SPU to the things that are going on? I mean, it's, it's a torment to watch some of that stuff go on. And then there's also spiritual afflictions. We don't tend to talk about these that much, but these are very real in the world that I live in because I deal with them behind the scenes and they happen uh, quite often. But uh, this involves the the realm of uh, demonic where people are trapped by lies, uh, demonic pressure or warfare. There are spiritual traps that are set for people, uh, deception, blindness, uh, there's just spiritual barrenness that happens in a, in a person's life. Um, I, I want to illustrate that just in the torment. Uh, we went out, and I forget what movie Pam and Eve and I went to see, but you know how they run the trailers in the front, right? And sometimes I, I get nervous about the trailers because that you just know some of them are going to be bad, right? And in particular, just 
a, a month ago, we went and they had this uh, trailer for this movie, uh, The Ouija Board. Have you seen that one? And I went, you have got, I can't say what I said. It wouldn't be good. Um, needless to say, I wasn't that positive about that review of that movie. And, uh, and I just went, I'm, in my mind, I'm in horror watching that going, okay, now there's going to be, and it actually ended up being the top selling movie for like two weeks. And I went, so we've got millions of kids who are now going to go out and explore Ouija board and what that does, all right? Do not do that, all right? Let me tell you my story with Ouija board. So uh, I was saved uh, and uh, just recently saved, but brand new, uh, within weeks or months, I forget when. And um, I went to uh, my house and I was digging through a back um, closet trying to find something and I found this Ouija board. And I went, what the heck? And I just knew that was evil. I'd always known before that there was evil. And so I go downstairs, and I knew that my mom had dabbled in that stuff in the past. And I said, Mom, who's this? She's always one of the kids. I said, Mom, it's not one of the kids, all right? Is this yours? And she got all the facts. I said, Mom, you're not in trouble, right? <laughs> it's all right. But look, this, this is not good, all right? These, this is not a good thing. And I want to destroy it, but I can't destroy it unless I have permission from the person who owns it. Uh, don't ask me how I knew that. I just knew that in my spirit. And so she kind of mumbled and was doing dishes and says, okay, fine, you can do whatever you want. I said, no, I need to know that I have your permission to get rid of this and destroy it. She says, yes, you can. All right, good. So I'm a Wisconsin boy, and we know how to make fires in Wisconsin. So I went outside. We have our 50-gallon burn barrel, right? And I throw that thing in there. I dump a half a gallon of gas in, instant boy scout. Boom, right? Let that thing rip. And I, and I mean, I know fires, and so I'm watching. I'm going, that fire is not burning right, right? And I'm like, something's really wrong, that fire. So I get on my tiptoes and look in the barrel, and I'm looking down, and here's the fire swirling around, and here's that box sitting in the center of the fire, and it's not being burnt at all. This is a half a gallon of gas. I'm thinking I should go get more gas, right? So I look at that, and actually what I thought came to me, I went, you know what? I stepped back and went, you know what, Lord Jesus, that is not right. That thing should be burning, and I don't know why it's not burning, but that's not good. So in your name, could you make that thing burn? And literally, I prayed that prayer, and and this big green puff of smoke came out, like, you know, a smoke bomb, you know, on the fourth. It came out like that, and I walked away and said, thank you very much. Okay, we're out of here, All right? Yeah, you don't mess with that stuff. These spiritual traps, and there's a lot of them in our culture that lure people in, and promise them life, and it, it just creates incredible bondage. And uh, if you've come out of a background like that or have uh, people come out of a background like that, it can create phenomenal affliction. I can't tell you how much. Now, that's afflictions. Then there's also the issue of persecutions. right? When we're talking about persecutions, that's a little different. It's more intentional. Most of us know... Uh, the scripture in 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17, uh, as soon as I read it, you'll recognize it. It says this, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Right? But do we know the verses that precede that? It's, they're almost never quoted because it's always quoted that. Here's the verses 
that go before that. This is uh, 2 Timothy 3, 12 through 15. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. When was the last time you heard that verse tied to the one I read before? While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then comes the verse, all scripture is God-breathed and good for reproof, correction in that. What's it saying? We need to be anchored in the word because persecutions are going to come our way if we desire to live godly in a godly lifestyle for Christ Jesus. That, those two are almost never tied together. Let's look at uh, types of persecution. Uh, the first one is personal. Um, Nobody beats us up worse than ourselves. Have you ever heard the phrase, I'm my own worst enemy? There's a reason we use that phrase. Nobody persecutes you worse than you. We beat ourselves up. We tear ourselves apart. We talk ourselves down. Um, I'm ugly. I'm stupid. I'm down. I mean, just go through the list and think about the number of times you've gone after yourself and berated yourself and torn yourself down. Some of the most fierce persecution that exists in this room is not from other people or from the outside. It's internal. We've allowed wrong tapes to play. We've allowed um, lies to infiltrate our thinking. We do not counter them against chapter and verse in Scripture. And so after a while, we start to believe they're true and that what they're saying about us is true and we are the worst persecutors of ourselves. I'm a lousy person. I'm a lousy wife. I'm an ugly wife. I'm a bad husband. I'm a dumb son. I'm a, right? Roll them out. Uh, Personal persecution. And by the way, that is real. That's why I put it up there. There's a voice behind that that is talking to you, and it's a real voice. And when you find out that voice is not your friend, it might occur to you I shouldn't listen to that voice. That maybe I should ask myself, is that God's voice or an enemy's voice? And if it's an enemy's voice, you have the right to say, I reject that voice and I don't need to listen to it. Just a little hint on spiritual warfare. Let's go a little farther. There's social persecution, right? This is being mocked at school. This is neighborhood or work. In other words, being caught in a social setting and being persecuted because you're a believer. Somebody finds out you're a Christian. Oh, you're kidding me. Seriously? I didn't even know those existed anymore. I thought only people who had dead brains were Christians. Right? You ever run into something like that? Uh, and all of a sudden at work and you're caught and like, uh, I think I have to go to the bathroom now, okay? You know, kind of, kind of deal. Uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, in our culture, we call it bullying, right? But usually it's flipped and we're called the arrogant ones and we're called the bigots and we're called all those things. But it works both ways. And uh, there is uh, social persecution on both sides of that coin. There's another type of persecution that's more personal, and this is family persecution. Uh, some of us came to Christ and realized that the rest of the family wasn't so excited about the idea. And we came very excited. We got saved and said, Hey, I've come to know Jesus, thinking there would be a band and ticker tape parade and 
uh, you know, wow, look at that. And that wasn't exactly what happened. Uh, we suddenly ran into being disowned or ostracized because of our faith. Some of the harshest words a person will ever hear is, you're dead to me. Right? Some of us have heard those words. Some of us know what that's like to run into that. There is also uh, cultural persecution. Uh, the culture swings against us. Uh, media, press, status, positions of influence or power suddenly are no longer available. Um, it's taken, and even what you have starts to be taken away. Uh, that can happen. And often, uh, following close on the heels of that, or actually preceding that, is government, governmental persecution. Uh, legal sanctions are implemented. Think of pre-World War II in Germany and what was put in place um, and how that was systematically set up uh, before all the other stuff happened, but it was the government pressure that, that set that up. Basically what they're saying, it's not legal for you to be a Christian uh, and, and you are no longer welcome. And a matter of fact, if you don't want to leave, we'll help you leave permanently. All right. Now, um, I can tell by the tone of the room that that really brought you a lot of joy as I walked through those lists. Um, not a lot of fun to walk through those lists. But here's, here's the point. Where are we in history? Well, we don't know for sure. But the odds are good or reasonable that the prevailing sentiments, things probably aren't going to get better. The sentiment among most of us would be, if we sat down and talked to you over coffee, do you think things are going to get better in our culture for being Christian or worse? I would bet 95% of us would say, I think things are going to get worse. Some of that's just because we're pessimistic, but some of it is we know the word and we know how some of it's going to roll out. So we kind of weigh it and go, I'm not sure it's going to get better unless God does something that turns it in our culture uh, get better. And um, here's where I think it gets hard. I think it's fairly easy to go from things being really hard and bad and then they get better, right? You can, you can adjust to that a lot easier than things were really, really good and now they're going to go bad, right? That, that's hard because then the question was, well, how bad is bad? How far is bad? How deep is bad? How long is bad, Right? And uh, if you're a parent, you have kids, you go, okay, well, even if it's good for me, what's going to be for my kids? What's it going to be for my grandkids? You know, oh, where, where does that go? And Jeremiah captures this in a, uh, I'm calling this the hard shift. And God is talking to the Israelites here. He says, if you've raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? If you stumble in the safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? By the way, the thickets by the Jordan were, those are those thorns, right? Those iron thorns they have in Israel. Some of you have been on the tour there and stuff. Um, it's basically like walking through razor blades trying to get through the thickets of the Jordan. And uh, so God's saying, hey, if, if you are having a struggle when the things are good and it's green, what are you going to do when it's dry and hard? Right? How are you going to adjust to that? And I think that's a, a fair question when we come to a series of hope, because the question comes then, well, if things start to go really bad, my hope's going to go completely out the window. What do I have? Or what do I do with it? 
And the reality is our hope in Jesus Christ is supposed to stand the test of the hard times every bit as good as it stands the test of the bad times. But we get conditioned. We are used to things being good. Uh, my dad's generation would call it being soft, right? The builder generated World War II gang, right? They'd go, wow, you're just soft. I remember uh, I worked uh, baling hay one time for two weeks. We baled 4,000 bales. And the check I got uh, from the farmer was $17.41. And I went, oh my gosh, this dude ripped me off. So I went to my dad. I said, Dad, look at this check. What? you got to go talk to him. And he says, what are you complaining about? He said, I worked the beet fields and the potato fields for 16 hours a day and made 25 cents. Oh, not getting much help there. <laughs> it's a matter of perspective, right? From my dad's eyes, I had made a lot of money. From my eyes, I had gotten ripped off. Who was right? Well, we're probably both right, depending on how you looked at it. I um, didn't think that was fair. But what I realized is it was... That looked like a lot of money to my dad. Why? Because my dad grew up with nothing. Okay? On a farm, if they had potatoes for dinner, that was a magnitude thing. I'm thinking, gee, I want gas for my car and I go out on a date. And how can I do that with 17 bucks? Right? So I think the shift or the adjustment there is hard. Why is that important? All right, let me tell you why I think that's important. Because in my mind, and what I know of Scripture, it lines up very close with the assessment of Jesus. Jesus also went through hard times. And Jesus also gave assessments. Um, So here's the assessment of Jesus. And this is uh, found in, if you want to turn to Matthew 24, this is where I'm pulling this from. But the disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, what are the signs of the ends of the age? Here's what uh, Jesus said. Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming that I am the Messiah and will deceive many. We live in an era of that. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it you're not alarmed. Have you followed now that NATO's tracking Russia with the sorties that they're doing over an international area? Have you read about that? And uh, in the last month and a half, there's been over 40 incidents where Russia's bumped up against national sovereignty just to test to see what people will do. Do we live in a world of war and rumors of wars? Boy, and they come up uh, almost instantly lately. He says, But see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all these are the beginning of birth pains. And then he says this. This we'll put up there. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. It does not say you will receive a hug. Then you'll be handed over and persecuted and put to death. And you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Why? Because it's no longer an advantage. It's no longer the cool thing. You no longer get ahead by claiming the name of Jesus. It suddenly goes south. Matter of fact, if you claim the name of Jesus, you lose. And so many are going to say it's not worth the price tag. It's not worth that payday. And they start abandoning ship and they start throwing others under the bus and it becomes a free-for-all. If you've done any reading at all about pre-World War II Germany and what took place and what happened, um, 
you, you, you can read into the social pressures there that took place at that time. It says, Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And then he says, In this gospel, the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Uh, I just finished reading through the Bible for the year. And uh, again, if you're in that, and I want to encourage you, hey, you still have half of November and December. So if you've dropped off, pick it back up. You can read a lot in a month and a half. And you can get caught up, get back. But I just read through, and I thought, um, because I got through so quick, I read through Revelation twice. And when you read that, uh, and you go through Revelation, there's two categories of people that are in Revelation that... uh, God points out, he's, it's very significant. Uh, it's actually included in the seals that are broken. Uh, these groups of people are included. And if you want to take a look with me, you can. Uh, first place we go is Revelation chapter 6. So take your Bible or take your phone and zip there in Bible app really quick. Revelations chapter 6. It says, The fifth seal is broken or open. And John says, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony that they had maintained. In other words, they had not reneged, they had not renounced, they had stayed solid even if it meant their death. They claimed Christ. John says he saw under this altar all the souls that had been slain and they called out in a long voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? And then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer And here's the key statement. Until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. Now, who are those who will be killed just as they had been? Well, to know that, you've got to go to Revelations chapter 7. Go to Revelations chapter 7. And it talks about a great multitude in white robes. John again is saying, and I looked. And there before me was a great multitude and no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And then one of the elders asked me, these in the white robes, who are they and where did they come from? And John goes, I know, you know. Uh, He says, you know, sir. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's where that saying, God will wipe away every tear, comes from. It is not just God will make us all feel good and everything go happy and wipe our tears away. There will be tears. Why will there be tears? Well, there will be tears because they've had to walk through what we would call, in our human experience, the veil of tears, the veil of death. They've had to walk through that. The veil of tears in this life is both afflictions 
and persecution. So now, come back and come back to this verse. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober. In other words, you understand the price tag. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. That's the group that was worshiping. Go back. God did this so by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled to take hold of hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. Do you think when that begins and starts to ratchet down that you will need to be anchored? And what are we to be anchored in? Hope. Not fear, hope. That we can stand in the hope that Jesus has given us. I ran across an article this week called Hope is Hard. Let me read it to you. Hope is hard. (laughs) It's a fact of life. But hope is also beautiful. It means we're choosing to believe that there is indeed a light at the end of a very dark tunnel. That, my friends, is no easy feat. Hope is counting on and clinging to what we cannot see. Hope is what we grab hold of as we're searching for peace in the middle of a war. Hope is not always comforting, but sometimes that's all that's left. If hope were a person, I wonder what he'd say or what he'd do. I'd like to believe that he'd take my hand and say, here's my hand, you can squeeze it. Hope would know that if I can't change my present circumstances, I'm better off knowing I don't need to endure the battle ahead alone. Faith and hope work closely together. Without faith, how could we hope? How else could we confidently say everything will work out? Hope is a product of faith in something, in anything, in anyone. C.S. Lewis once said that faith is the art of holding on to things in spite of your changing mood and circumstances. Sounds a lot like hope, doesn't it? Not everyone may believe in God or a supernatural being, but it would take an incredible amount of convincing for someone to tell me they didn't have hope. We hope in our friends, we hope in our family, we hope in our circumstances, in intangible things. However, I found the most beautiful sort of hope is that which can't be seen or heard or touched but still believed in. And she ends, her name's Kayla. This is a different Kayla, not my daughter. Kayla, she ends with Hebrews 6.19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. This Kayla's uh, name is Kayla Bonner. Kayla Bonner, uh, family attend North Shore. Uh, Kayla is a student at uh, Washington State University. Last week, they found Kayla comatose in her apartment, uh, unresponsive. They rushed her to Children's Hospital. Uh, she is improving, but still not out of the woods at this point. She now gets to test what she just wrote. If you were her mom and dad, would you have hope? Colossians 1 says this. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. This is our Lord Jesus. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, being anchored, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. There is an enormous amount of pressure in our culture right now to shift. Uh, You've seen it for the last 20 years. If you're my age, you've watched it for the last 30 years. 
There's been a shift away from God, a shift away from the gospel, a shift away from Jesus, a shift away, especially from obedience. The old line, everybody's doing it, right? Has got people doing it because they're going, well, everybody's doing it, everybody's walking away. But God is still looking for a group of people who won't shift, who have anchored their hope firmly in Him, period. Exclamation point, end of sentence. And the end of time will test that group of people as to whether they will stand steadfast or not. This is not a message I like giving. This is the message of the New Testament. It's all over the place. You can't get away from it. What is your hope anchored in this morning? And I want to suggest anything outside of Jesus will turn to paper and chaff in the heat of the furnace of affliction and persecution. And that we have to be anchored to our hope in an absolutely solid way or the storms and the winds and currents of life will flush us away faster than we can blink. Let's pray. Father, this is not my word, this is your word, so therefore confirm and verify at whatever level in the hearts of my brothers and sisters as we walk with this. This is not exciting. The end of it, getting on the other side is exciting. Going through it is not exciting. And we would know that the only way we could do that is through a greater grace given to us at the appropriate time when it comes time to stand, that we could do so. And your word says above all that, that we would give an answer in gentleness and not in rage and not in bitterness and not uh, retaliating. That's not, that's beyond us, Lord. That's your example. And only you in us could do that. We ask for that kind of grace. We ask for the kind of timing and wisdom to know how to be appropriate in the era that you have planted us in. And may we stand firm and be unshaken in the hope you have given us. And we ask this in your name. Amen.